Joshua chapter 3 and chapter 4. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan, where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hevites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is in flood all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the waters flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off, so the people crossed over, opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you, 
in the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle, in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the eyes of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of his life, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant Law to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priests came up out of the river, carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on the dry ground, then the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran in flood, as before. On the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Sea of Reeds when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful, and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jeremy. So as most of you know, well I think most of you know, I have a pony called Chico. He's a wee black, hairy cob. And Chico has been my riding pony for many years now. Um, and, but when it comes to riding, it isn't just a case of saddling up, hopping on and then seeing where we go. No, Chico will not have this, no. We have a, we have a routine, a ritual, so to speak. Um, and any time that I have rushed a pre-ride ritual, then Chico is a very grumpy boy. Actually, it can be just downright naughty and he'll refuse to actually do anything. 
He's a boy that likes to be pampered. He's not just going to perform for the sake of it. So before we ride, I have to make a big fuss a Chico. I have to prepare him and me, you know, to get us to the space where we can work in partnership together. Firstly, I have to come to the yard, you know, having a rough plan of what we're going to do. And also, when I come onto the yard, I do have to clear my mind. I have to come and be fully present. Because the horses sense when you're agitated or when you're angry or when you're thinking about anything other than them. Um, so then I'll give Chico a good groom, you know, to get off any dirt, so as that he's clean, he's shiny, and he's super handsome. And grooming is actually how you bond with your horse. So as I groom him, I'll also check for any cuts or injuries, and I'll then make sure that his hoofs have been picked out, so as that there aren't any stones in there that could make him lame. And I'll be chatting the whole time, you know, as he enjoys that, and it deepens our bond. And I'll make sure that the tack and the saddle and the saddle cloth are clean and oiled. And as I put it on Chico, I'll be chatting to him, reassuring him that, that we're going to have a fun time together. And then before I actually get on Chico, I take him up to the school. And we do some on-the-ground, in-hand exercises to get him warmed up. Because as I said, he isn't going to just perform for the sake of it. And then when I do mount him, I'll talk to him throughout. You know, as we have to have a partnership, I'll focus and I'll look to where I want him to go. And I always, and he always looks after me. He always goes just at the speed that I want, never spooking. Um, and as I said, you know, I always feel safe when I'm riding Chico. And that's because over the years we've developed a deep bond. Because Chico knows I love and respect him. Because of our routines, because of our rituals, because I take the time, because I don't just expect him to perform. And after a ride, I'll always make a big fuss at Chico, tell him how happy I am, how much fun I've had, how much I love him, and give him a treat. Then after we've cooled down, it's his favourite time of all, he gets his dinner. <laughs> now you might think it's strange that I'm talking about this, you know, about our pre and post riding routines, or rituals. Um, but actually, I was reflecting on this whenever I was thinking about today's passage. Because before we embark on anything with the Lord, anything new, but actually anything with the Lord, there are things that we should do. And after we've journeyed with the Lord, being blessed by the Lord, there are things that we should do. And I think today's chapters that we've heard of Joshua highlight this. So chapter 3 of Joshua begins with the Israelites setting out from their campsite at Shittim, 
where there have been since defeating Saigon and Og, which you can read about in Numbers 22. They go and camp by the Jordan River in preparation for crossing over into the Promised Land. But they haven't just to all cross over. There are things that they have to do before they cross over. The first thing they have to do is to know, to be aware of how God is actually going to move them. In verse 2 to 4, it says, After three days the officers went throughout the camp, giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go, since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not be near it. Richard Hess points out that the order of the march was detailed before the Israelites left Sinai in Numbers 1, 2 and 10. Numbers 10 verse 33 explains the movement of the ark of the covenant in front of the people to guide them to a place of rest. And this was probably known to the Israelites, Israelites who now prepared to cross the Jordan. And all highlights that the Ark of the Covenant doesn't actually make many appearances in the pages of Scripture, but when it does, it is an extraordinary, potent presence. The Ark of the Covenant was Israel's most sacred treasure. It was a symbol of God's power and presence. Not only was it a symbol of God's power and presence, but it actually also contained God's will, his teaching. For God had Moses placed within the ark the stone copy of the Ten Commandments, and it was further arranged that a copy of the whole teaching of Deuteronomy be placed alongside the ark. The ark, it could be said, was the Old Testament equivalent of Emmanuel. God with us. So with the ark leading the way, the Lord God leading the way, the Israelites could follow. Then they will know which way to go because they've never been this way before. And they've not to get too close. They have to maintain a distance of 2,000 cubits, which I had to look up. Um, as a thousand yards, but then again I had to look that up, um, which is just over half a mile. So this is so the whole nation can see and can follow. The Lord God wants everyone to be able to see the ark, but everyone to know that God's presence is with them. To know that the Lord God himself is leading them into the promised land. And to do this, they need to be able to focus on God alone. And so, thinking about our own lives, you know, are you aware of how God is moving in your life? Are you focusing on how God might be leading you? 
Or are you being distracted by other matters? Are you getting too close that you can't see? Or too far away that you can't see? How do you hear God speaking to you? Do you hear his voice? Or is it through reading his word? Is it in feelings? Is it in music? Or nature? Or signs? Or dreams? But each of us, it is unique. But we do need to tune into God's voice to see how he is leading us and guiding us so that we can focus on it. And not just for the big decisions in life, but for everyday things. How is the... Presence of God journeying with you each day, leading and guiding you. And how do you face what seems impossible? Well, for us, we have Jesus, don't we? We can fix our eyes on Jesus, the true Emmanuel, God with us. For our Lord God sent his Son to be an example for us in our lives. And in verse 5, Joshua then tells the people to do something else. So it's not just about focusing on God. He tells the people that they have to consecrate themselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This means they have to perform a consecration ceremony. And this was often done before making a sacrifice or before witnessing a great act of God. And it could include washing the clothes and abstaining from sexual relations. It would likely include the confession of sins. So that when the Lord comes, the people are prepared. And it's important that the Israelites recognize and appreciate it is God who will be leading them into the promised land. It's not Joshua. They're not doing it on their own steam. It's the Lord. It will take an act of God to carry them through the Jordan River. And so the consecration ceremony highlights the importance of approaching God with a pure heart. Leave behind all that separates them from God. Israel was commanded to be certain they were right with God, to examine their lives, confess, forsake sins, and devote themselves wholly to the Lord. It's about moving out of the ordinary every day and being ready for something amazing spiritually to happen. God might not be cutting a path through rivers for his people every month or so now, but the same principle remains today for us. Do you prepare yourself for the practice of public worship of God? Are we prepared for him 
to do amazing things among us? Are we prepared for him to do amazing things through us? And if we are not impressed with the grandeur of encountering the living God in this place, in this worship, is it because we have not prepared ourselves to see him and his grandeur? Could it be that we even fail to detect the Lord's marvellous working in the routine affairs of our lives simply because we have not prepared ourselves to see or even expect that? How do you prepare yourself to encounter God? How do you prepare yourself to see his marvellous workings in our lives. Do you know, David actually challenged me last week. Um, we were meeting, you did David, you might not know it. Um, we, were, we were meeting and David had asked if we should fast before doing something. And I had just said, no, no, because, mainly because I've got diabetes and I was thinking about my diet. But actually, that stayed with me all this week. Because I'm thinking, how am I preparing myself to meet with the Lord? How am I preparing myself for, for worship? How am I preparing myself for the Lord to do something new and marvellous among us? And today, I think as well, you know, we're frustrated by, you know, the technical hitches. But friends, this is why it is so important that we meet to pray before the service for people to come early and to pray into this space so that we are prepared and ready to worship our Lord. So after being consecrated and purified, the Israelites are called to step out in faith. In verse 78, it says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so as they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. And in verse 13 it says, And as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So the ark of the covenant, the presence of God is going before the people. They can step out in faith because the Lord, their God, is going ahead of them. And the living God does something amazing. God had parted the waters in the Red Sea when Moses had led the Israelites out of Egypt. Now God parts the River Jordan to allow the Israelites to cross into the Promised Land. 
The actual Jordan River between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea varies in breadth from 3 to 14 miles. Within the valley is the river's floodplain, which is 200 yards to 1 mile wide. The floodplain was packed with tangle bush. The river channel itself was from 90 to 100 feet broad, with a depth of 3 feet at some fords to as much as 10 to 12 feet. And the current was strong because of the drop in elevation. Now, I actually visited this site um, where they say Joshua and the Israelites crossed into the Promised Land. Now, I went in summer when the river was placid, um, but the, it was springtime when the Israelites crossed the river, and so it would have been a raging torrent, and probably it was about a mile wide. And then God leads the Israelites through, you know, to show his power, his majesty, and his grace. And he does it at that time to show his power, his majesty, and his grace. And that's something that we have to remember, isn't it? That God does things in his own time for his own purposes. In verse 14 to 17 it says, So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of the Arabah, which is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now you can imagine just, you know, the expectation, the excitement, the nervousness probably among everyone on the edge of the River Jordan. Waiting, hoping, praying, eyes fixed on the Ark of the Covenant before them. Not knowing how they were going to do it, but they were going to cross that river. With the presence of the Lord with them, the Israelites stepped out in faith and the Lord does indeed do something. Now I did read that it might have been an earthquake, it might have been, you know, a landslide, it could have been, you know, something um, that, that could be explained. But the Lord had his hand in it. It was done in his timing. We don't need to be able to explain it. Because the Lord did it. He did something amazing. The Israelites had faith and they stepped out. In our own lives too, we must step out in faith. We can be focused on the Lord, praying, listening, basking in his presence. But for the Lord to do anything amazing, 
We need like anything amazing in us or through us. We have to step out in faith. Now I remember when I was learning to drive and I hated roundabouts and I would tense up and I would freeze. And my driving instructor would, you know, try to get me to go. And I'm like, no, no, no. And then I decided, no, I'm, don't, don't do this, right? Don't ever do this. <laughs> but I decided that I was just going to close my eyes and I was just going to go. That was it. I was just going to close my eyes and I'm just going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> it wasn't a good move. But eventually, like nothing happened to me. So eventually, I did look right and I did look left. And then I drove out having confidence, actually, then. Our eyes and our hearts can be right. But we will never progress in God's work if we don't step out. We must commit ourselves, our time, our energy, our money, our lives, to what God is doing. But it won't happen. And it's the same in our church. We can believe that God has a vision for us. But we actually need to commit to it. Our time and our energy to make it happen. We have to step out in faith. And after stepping out in faith, in chapter 4, once the Israelites have crossed over the Jordan, the first thing they have to do is to make a memorial of the event. So is that it can never be forgotten. Twelve men from the tribes of Israel have to carry a stone from the riverbed into the new camp to be stacked into this memorial. In verses 6 to 7, Joshua says, In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. The Israelites have to remember what God has done and the stones are a visual aid. People in the future will tell their children of this amazing day, this amazing event when God unleashed his power for his people. With God insisting that this is done, there's the implication that this then is a unique event. This sort of miracle might be infrequent, but it can happen. It did happen. So remember and believe. The remembrance and the retelling of the event will encourage and deepen faith. Now, corporate memory through the generations is important in the Jewish tradition, and this goes back at least as far as the tradition of the book of Deuteronomy. When God teaches Moses, Moses then teaches Israel, and the generation of Israel that hears Moses is instructed to teach their children. And this pattern of remembering carries over for, for our church, the Church of Scotland. We continue to remember the unique act of our Saviour Jesus in the Sacrament of Communion. 
We teach our children and we teach new brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? We remember. And then we share our stories, our own testimonies of how the Lord has transformed our lives and is transforming our lives. How the Lord has and is inspiring us. How the Lord has forgiven us. And it is so important that we acknowledge that it is the Lord that is doing this. And to give thanks and praise for this will not only deepen our relationship with God, but also develop our own faith and the faith of others. And in the remembering, we acknowledge the power and the majesty of God, that he is the source of life and of blessings. Joshua says in verse 24, he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so is that you may always fear the Lord your God. And to fear God is to give him wholehearted loyalty. Both the miracle and the remembrance point to this purpose. The Gospels record the signs and wonders of Jesus for the same purposes. That those who hear might believe and that this belief then leads to the fullness of life and commitment to Christ. I think that what these chapters of Joshua show us is, is that we cannot be passive in our relationship with God. We can't just be expecting God to show up and act. There are things that we have to do to deepen our relationship with God, to, to, to deepen our partnership and our connection. It isn't a one-sided relationship. Just as I work to build my connection with Chico, we need to be actively in partnership with God. This active participation is so important, especially when we're trying to discern where God is leading us. Active participation helps us to see when God might be leading us in a new direction or answering our prayers and especially when answering our prayers in a way we might not be expecting. And in our active participation to partner with God, we are actively listening for God's instructions and guidance, not just for the big things in life, but all things in our everyday lives. And we're preparing our hearts and our minds to meet with God daily, to be ready and amazed by God in our worship and also in our everyday lives. In our active partnership, we are looking to the example of Jesus on how to live. And with this focus and readiness, we can step out in faith, knowing that God is with us every day and in all aspects of our lives. And we can give thanks and praise for this. And we acknowledge and give thanks for how God is working in our lives, is answering prayer, is bestowing us with blessings. And thanks and praise for how God is working in us and through us. And we don't keep this knowledge to ourselves, but we share it as an encouragement to others. 
active partnership helps us to keep hope in the times when it feels like God is far away. When we're struggling with waiting for God's time for answer to prayer. When we're struggling for the, uh, with waiting for God's time to bless us. And it isn't just a personal relationship with God where we need to be actively in partnership. But our corporate relationship as a church here in Whiteinch. Our commitment and focus is needed now more than ever as we journey with God in this new season. For our church to grow and bring to life God's vision, we all need to be actively partnering with God and each other. Now next Sunday after church, the elders and myself will be spending some time praying into God's vision for us this season. Who we are now as a church. Now, if you have a word, if maybe the Lord inspires you this week, please do share that with either myself or with one of the elders before Sunday. Because this is our church. And if you would like to do something to bring God's vision to life, then please do let me or one of the elders know. Because I am aware that the Lord has placed things on your hearts. And that some of you may be sitting there quiet, not sure, but the Lord has placed it on your heart. And you need support to bring that to life. So speak out and share it and we can make that happen. Because we are actively partnering with God together.